Hey everybody, this is Pedro Chung, and welcome to Bible Summa Weekly, a Bible study podcast for everyday Christians. We are continuing our series in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. Episode title, Jacob Accepts Judah's Guarantee. So in our last episode, we remember that Jacob was lamenting to his sons, and he said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. And we said that from looking at Jacob's empirical analysis of all the data that had been given to him, he concluded that everything was against him. But we understand that even though Jacob's interpretation of his circumstances was logical and reasonable, he was completely wrong. Joseph is no more. Wrong. Joseph is now the prime minister of Egypt. Simeon is no more. Wrong again. Simeon has never been more safe than under the protective custody of Joseph. One of the most salient attributes of God's hand of providence is that it is invisible. And so, living by sight and not by faith in God's covenantal promises, Jacob here is adamant that he will not let his sons return to Egypt with Benjamin. And we said that Jacob likely believed that the food that had been purchased by his sons will hopefully sustain his family until the family subsides. But he was not able to foresee that the famine will only get more severe. And this brings us now to Genesis chapter 43. The first half of the 43rd chapter, we can have the following outline. First, there is the plight of Jacob's family, verses 1 to 7. Second, There is the surety guarantee of Judah, verses 8 to 10. And third, there is the acceptance of bereavement by Jacob, verses 11 to 14. So let's read the first section, verses 1 to 7, beginning with verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? So we see here that at the start of chapter 43, that there has been some time that has elapsed between the end of the 42nd chapter and chapter 43, perhaps a few months. And we see here that the famine remained severe. 
and all the grain that had been purchased from Egypt during their first trip had been exhausted. And so, with the increased fear that his entire family will soon perish, Jacob asked his sons again to purchase some more food. But Judah reminds his father of the precise terms set by Egypt's prime minister. Judah and his brothers could only return to Egypt with their youngest brother, Benjamin. Without Benjamin, they could not return. Now, we see here that Jacob's new given name, Israel, is used here in verse 6 and throughout most of this remaining chapter. And we see here that Israel remains frustrated that his sons would disclose details of Benjamin that would prompt this type of obligation to return with Benjamin. But Jacob's sons here together defended themselves, and they said that they were only speaking honestly and plainly, and they could not have anticipated that the prime minister would then ask them to return with their younger brother, Benjamin. So let's now read who emerges amongst his brothers to finally persuade their father Israel. Verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever." If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So we see here that at the start of verse 8, that there is now no doubt that the survival of the entire family rests on the purchase of more grain for food. Without food from Egypt, the entire family will perish. That is, Israel, the patriarch, his sons, and his grandchildren— his entire household. Now, let me read several different English translations for the start of Genesis 43, verse 9. In the NIV, it is translated with Judah saying, I myself will guarantee his safety. In the English Standard Version, Judah says, I will be the pledge of his safety. In the New American Standard Version, Judah says, I will take responsibility for him. But I prefer the King James Version, where it translates Judah as saying, I will be surety for him. Now, when we first began the study of the life of Joseph at the start of Genesis chapter 37, I told you that although there were many similarities between Joseph and our Lord Jesus Christ, I hinted that there is a second protagonist in our story that may actually better foreshadow the person and work of Christ Jesus. And here we see him emerge. It is Judah. And unlike the weak suggestion of the eldest brother, Reuben, Judah will persuade his father to send Benjamin with the brothers back to Egypt. 
You remember at the end of the previous chapter, Reuben told his father and he said, hey, send us back with Benjamin. And if we don't return with Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. That is your two grandsons. And Israel quickly passed up on that offer. But notice here that Judah in the start of this chapter is able to break through his father's obstinance by saying, I will be surety for Benjamin. Now, in financial terms, a surety involves a promise by one party to assume responsibility for the debt obligation of a borrower if that borrower defaults. So we see here that Judah tells his father Israel, I will be surety for him. Father, if I don't bring him back to you or set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Now, we are going to delve much deeper into the meaning and significance of Judah's guarantee as Benjamin's surety later in Genesis chapter 44. But we see here that Judah further states in verse 10 that if they didn't waste time these last couple of months, they would have been able to make at least two additional trips to purchase more food from Egypt already. And so Judah reminds his father that there is urgency here and he must act. So let's now read Judah's father's response, beginning in verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This passage is perhaps my favorite turning point of the life of Jacob. When we had studied the early life of Jacob, we saw his travail. You guys remember that in his early life, uh, Jacob was consumed with trying to gain the patriarchal blessing by earthly means. I mean, even while in his mother's womb, he was struggling with his older brother Esau to get out of the womb first, to be the firstborn. You remember that Jacob's mother, Rebecca, likely shared with Jacob the special revelation that she had received from God that Jacob would be the promised one to receive the patriarchal blessing and not Esau. But even so, Jacob took matters into his own hands, and he first coerced his brother to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then he later stole Esau's blessing by deceiving his father Isaac. And so, because of Esau's anger and threats to kill Jacob, Jacob flees for his life and he spends the next 20 years serving his uncle Laban, who took full advantage of him. 
And because of his flight to Laban, he actually never sees his beloved mother again. But even though he was taken advantage of by his uncle, God still blessed Jacob over the next 20 years. And he left Laban with a family, including 11 sons, one daughter, and he returned back to the land of Canaan, and he successfully reconciled with his older brother Esau. And so we may safely have assumed that Jacob will live happily ever after after that. But he doesn't, does he? And in fact, his life becomes all the more difficult and all the more taxing. First, he loses his beloved wife, Rachel, in death through childbirth. And then, a while later, he loses his beloved son, Joseph. And now we see that he loses his second son, Simeon, or so we thought. And so now, his entire family, his entire household, is on the brink of starvation and extinction. You would think that toward the end of his life, he would be safe and secure in the promises of God, because he did, in fact, receive the patriarchal blessing. He knew that God was going to bless him and his future family. And yet, in spite of that blessing, he loses his faith in those promises when he looks at the circumstances that surrounded him. But it's here in this passage that we see the turning point. First, we see that Israel finally relents to Judah's persuasion. And so he gives his sons three important instructions. First, Israel instructs his sons to prepare gifts, fruits, balm, honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Second, Israel tells his sons to bring double the money to compensate for the food that they had received without payment. And in fact, he even expresses that he had hoped that perhaps there really was a misunderstanding and this um, taking of the food without payment would be quickly overlooked. And third and finally, Israel instructs his sons to take Benjamin. And he commits his children to God. And he says, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send you back your other brother and Benjamin. So we see here that the patriarch Israel is growing again in his trust in God. And so he commits his children to God. I mean, what else could he do? And he asks God to grant his family mercy his son's mercy before the prime minister. And he's even hopeful that perhaps Simeon is still alive and that he will be able to come back not only with Benjamin, but also with Simeon. And then Israel closes his benediction with one final sentence that in the King James translation is this, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You know, sometimes I think that Christians would believe that prayer in faith is somehow having an unrelenting confidence and trust that through prayer, there must be a positive outcome. 
But this is not what Scripture teaches. This is not what the Genesis narrative here teaches. When a Christian prays in true faith, he is not clinging on to a positive outcome, but rather he is humbly submitting to God's providence, whatever that outcome might be. Remember in Daniel chapter 3 when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, bounded um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember what those three young men said? They said, our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so the three men knew that God was able to deliver the three men from the fiery furnace, but they did not presume that God would do so. God may choose to do so, but even if he does not, they will not disobey or dishonor their God by worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar. The Apostle Paul describes a very similar perspective in Philippians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, when he writes, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what Paul is describing is that he isn't presuming anything from God because God can bring him riches. God can bring him poverty. He can be brought high. He can be brought low. But he says that in any and every circumstance, he has learned the secret of being content and that he can face any situation through God who strengthens him. You see, this perspective by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this perspective by the Apostle Paul, it's not automatic for us as Christians. This is a faith, this is a perspective that accompanies Christian maturity, and it must be learned. And so we see here that Jacob is growing in his trust in God throughout his life. But yet he seems for most of our narrative here to be living by sight and not by faith. But it is here in this passage that he has a turning point and he cognizantly trusts God. And he says that whatever the circumstances, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You know, when we trust in the invisible hand of God's providence, we are trusting three things. First, we are trusting that our God is omnipotent and sovereign. He has the power and authority to reign over his creation in full control. God is in control and nothing happens that is outside of his control. That is the first thing we are trusting. The second thing we're trusting is that we trust that our God is infinitely and perfectly wise. His purposes are higher than ours. You see, we have imperfect knowledge. 
We have imperfect wisdom, but God has complete knowledge and he has perfect wisdom. And so we are trusting that he acts in perfect wisdom. And third, we trust that our God is good. His purposes are good. You remember that we had, when we had studied in Romans chapter 9 earlier, we said that he has the sovereign will to bestow mercy on whom he wishes to bestow mercy. And his purposes are good for his glory alone. And so, when we trust that God is infinitely powerful, perfectly wise, and completely good, we can then pray to God and confess to others, just as Jacob does here, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Thanks for listening to Bible Sumo Weekly. For more information about me or this podcast, visit our website at biblesumo.com. And you can always send me questions and feedback by direct messaging to me on Twitter at BibleSumo. In our next episode, we will continue our series in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph when we see Jacob's sons returning to Egypt for their second visit and encounter with Joseph. Follow and subscribe to our podcast to listen to our Bible studies each and every week here at Bible Sumo Weekly.